Thank you, Rebel Band. I enjoyed that music. I pray that God will, or you will, continue to use your gifts and uh, what the Lord has given you for him all of your lives. Uh, I, I wish I could do that. i got to honestly tell you, I was jealous when I looked at you there because I've always wanted to be able to do that. I did learn three chords on a guitar, but I found that people like to hear more than three chords continuously. Um, you know, so I, I did kind of give up, and the Lord decided, what, though he did not give me those gifts, he did give them to my children. So my daughter sings, my son sings, and my younger daughter sings, so uh, I am, I'm thankful for that, that, uh, that someone's got it anyway, even though I didn't get that one. Uh, I, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about uh, something that if we put it into practice in our lives, including me, uh, we will be, and you've heard this term in, in, in the news in the last few years when someone does something that's from a, a, a country that, and they do something really bad, they've been radicalized. Well, this will radicalize you for Jesus and for the work of what the Lord wants to do in your life in our church. And this will make a difference in our church. As a matter of fact, if this church, our church, uh, applies what we hear in the next two weeks, Lord willing, uh, we will become one of the most, uh, I'm not going to say large, because that's, that's not what I'm really talking about, the most, uh, one of the most uh, um, churches that people will want to come to because of these things happening in the church. Let us pray that God would just minister by his spirit. Father, thank you for the word through the music this morning. And we realize you speak in more than one way, and we thank you for that, because we all receive sometimes in different ways. We thank you, dear Lord God, the truth of that song. What a wonderful name, what a beautiful name, what a powerful name. Thank you, Jesus. And right now, Lord, we're calling upon your name to touch us, myself as I speak, and those that would listen, that today this word would become real and alive, would become a Rima word for someone, and for this assembly today. But Lord, for those who are struggling in some areas, they will find that, Lord, as they apply this, even though it's not easy, through the work and the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, it can be done. And we're going to give you the credit for any good thing that comes out of this message today. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. On the screen, I would like you to have a look at... Okay, I will. Somebody told me to keep looking this way. Uh, let's get that first slide. D does anybody know what we're seeing on the screen right now? J just say if you know what it is. A what? Pollen. You know what? It, it, it is a virus. Uh, most likely an influenza virus. And viruses, when it gets on your, it could be a pollen. Those are think, yeah, it could be pollen. And that affects you too. It, it's, it creates a vicious cycle unless broken. Bring up the next slide. And I, you'll just leave that up there while I'm giving some definitions here. And you can see the pattern of a virus as it attacks. And that word virus comes from a Latin word meaning virulent, which means toxin or poison. Virus is a microorganism that is smaller than a bacterium that cannot grow, listen to this, that cannot grow or re reproduce apart from a living cell. A virus invades living cells 
and uses their chemical machinery to keep itself alive and to replicate itself. And then, of course, if you're a computer dude or dudess, a, a computer virus is a piece of code that is capable, uh, Flavio knows what this is, uh, what this is, computer virus, capable of uh, copying itself and typically has a detrimental effect such as corrupting a system or destroying data. People that work uh, with, with data don't, don't like computer viruses. So when they're especially got something important put down. And the title for our message today goes along with this. It's called uh, Relationship Viruses. Every single one of us here were made for relationships. We're made to go through life together. We were formed for family. And, and I know family, and I'm not talking about so much of the world's definition today, but family can take many, many um, forms, and really I mean community. The Bible starts off in Genesis 2, and God saying as he looked at the one human that he created, and he said, it's not good to be alone. This is also very much about relationships, even though it was talking about a, a, a man and a woman in that case, as you read through the, the text. But it's about relationships. In Romans, the Apostle Paul says, just as our bodies, and this verse should be on the screen, Romans 12, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. That's very important. If you read in the Psalms, and, I'm, and that verse is not up there, but just Psalm 133, many of you know this. If this local church, Christian Fellowship Church, is going to have the blessing of God upon it, it needs to have good relationships. It needs unity to be blessed by God. This, what I'm going to say now, is not for Marlene because she's not sitting next to anybody. But do you re realize that the per people you're sitting next to, you are connected to? So Marlene can look back at other people. If you're part of the family of God, they are connected to you and you are connected to them. But it is very easy to become disconnected. And that's where our title and the meaning that I gave you fits in. It's easy to get a relationship virus. It's easy to get disconnected. And some of you already know about this. From your children, from, from your parents, from your brothers and your sisters, from your friends, from your, from your spouse if you're married. It's easy to get disconnected from your church. And if we don't have a lot of small groups, but if you are part of a small group, to get dis disconnected from your small group. Today, in this message, we want to name the virus that, viruses that cause relationships to fall apart and how we are to build a biblical antivirus lifestyle. Because the Bible tells us we belong to each other. <laughs> we, we belong, whether we like it or not, we belong to each other. So how do we stay connected? Unfortunately, there is not a lot of courses given, I don't know of any, how to have a healthy relationship. Yet it's the most important thing in life. How to have a relationship with God. How to have a relationship with each other. And, and no, nobody's really said to any of us, here are the building blocks, the secrets to good relationships, and here are the things that destroy them. The Bible teaches that every relational problem comes down to one of four negative viruses or attitudes. These are the enemies of relationships. Number one, the selfish virus. Think about that chart that was up there. 
And think about what we said about that a virus uh, needs, uh, cannot grow apart from a living cell. Something that will help it grow. Selfishness destroys relationships. This is the number one enemy of relationships. It's the number one cause of conflict, of arguments, of divorce. It's the number one cause of war. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. It's very easy for selfishness to creep into relationships. For example, in dating. You know, when you date, for those that have dated, or when you're trying to make friends with somebody, wouldn't you agree we put more energy into building than we do maintaining relationships? We start to take each other for granted after we've known each other for a while. I'm not sure if you've read this, and this is kind of a, kind of a, a, supposed to be a little bit comical, I guess. The five stages of a married cold. Cold, you know, like sniffles, cold, flu, whatever. The first year. I'm not saying this is a guy or a girl. Okay? Or the husband or the wife or whatever. Baby, darling, I'm worried about that sniffle. I've called the paramedics to rush you to the Aberdeen Hospital for a checkup and a week of rest. I know you don't like the hospital food, so I'm having uh, Marlene cook some meals for you and bring it in for you. That's the first year, okay? First year. Second year. Sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for the doctor to make a house call. Let me tuck you into bed. Third year of marriage. You look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to the drugstore, get some medicine, and I'll watch the kids. Fourth year. Be sensible. After you've fed and bathed the kids and washed the dishes, you really ought to go to bed. Fifth year, for Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud? I can't hear the TV. You know who it is now. He's got the remote. Would you mind going in the other room while my sports shows are on? You're, bar you're sound like a barking dog. One person said, in the first year of marriage, my spouse used to bring me my slippers, and the dog came barking. Now my dog brings me my slippers. Oh, I, I wouldn't laugh about it. <laughs> You're in trouble. <laughs> we, we stop making the effort. That's what, that's just what this is really trying to tell us. And we slide into selfishness. And, and someone rightly said, if we were, there was more courting in marriages, there would be fewer marriages in court. And what's that saying? You really need to date your spouse. Don't, don't, don't get to, well, you know, we're, not, we're married. No, we don't need. Uh, take her out for a coffee at McDonald's once in a while. I know a couple of them that do that all the time. Eric and Verna, I see them at McDonald's a lot. <laughs> they date a lot. Selfishness is destructive. So why don't we change? Well, you know, there's a couple of reasons why we don't change. And this is, forgive me if you don't like it this way, but I'm doing more teaching today and next week. First reason we don't give it up, it's, it's pretty natural. It's human nature to be selfish. Dan, i got to admit, I don't think about you most of the time. But you don't think about me most of the time either. I don't think about, and I think about me. I think about my needs, my interests, my hurts. How do, how, how do I look and if my hair is right? And How do I feel? Who's hurting me? And obviously you don't think about me all the time either. You think about yourself more than anybody else. And the second thing, we don't, reason we don't change is Canadian society feeds our self-centeredness. Every advertisement that comes out caters to my or your self-centeredness. It's things like, have it your way. We do it all for you. It's all about you. Live for yourself regardless of what it does to everybody else. You deserve it. What happens in Vegas 
stays in Vegas. Think about that. It's okay for me to cheat on my wife as long as I do it in Vegas. It's okay for me to be immoral and rotten and do anything I want, total selfishness, because it's going to stay in Sin City. Our culture feeds on selfishness. In Proverbs 28, verse 25, it says, Greed causes fighting, but trust in the Lord leads to prosperity. Greed, greedy people are selfish people, and that leads to problems between people. So if selfishness destroys relationships, what makes them work? Well, the antivirus, as you'll see it on the screen, it is selflessness. Well, what does selflessness mean? It means a little less of me and a little bit more of you. That's being selfless. Philippians 2 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, you talk about being radicalized. <laughs> if we live like this, selfishness brings out the best in others. It builds relationships. You know, some of the most unlovable, unlikable, cranky people that nobody wants to be around, you start consistently being selfless toward them, giving them what they need, not what they deserve, and you start seeing, uh, you start being selfless and it transforms them into nicer people, at least with you. It transforms them when you show them selflessness and show them kindness. And you know where God's favorite place to teach you and teach me selflessness? First thing is probably your family. Probably your church. Again, if you're part of a small group, small groups are, I, I, I keep hammering because small groups are so important in church. The place where we are most sensitive is where God will teach us about selflessness. And the most sensitive, self, uh, sensitive people you're with is the ones that are closest to you. They can hurt you the most. The people closest to you. The ones that, that you're close to on a regular basis. Right now, it's easy to be selfless in this crowd. Nobody's requiring anything of you. But it's when you're with other people. Galatians 6 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their, their own sinful, uh, sinful nature will harvest decay and death from sinful, that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. This is important because it, it is the universal principle of sowing and reaping. Everything is built on this. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You plant criticism, people are going to be criti critical of you. You plant affirmation, people are going to affirm you. What you show in life, you reap back, or what you sow. And if you're jealous, you're going to be je people are going to be jealous back, and so on and on. The greatest lesson in life is learning to be unselfish. Let's move on. Number two virus, the pride virus. This is the second Big thing that kills relationships. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride leads to conflict, and those who take advice are wise. And pride shows up in a lot of different ways. It can show up in a critical spirit, people that are critical of other people all the time, judgmental, judgmental of other people all the time. You tend to look down at people. You tend to be a picky, as someone said, a picky perfectionist. No one can do anything right. You have a pride problem if you're like that. If you tend to be competitive, and you're always, not because not you're competitive, but if you're always comparing in, your, in being competitive. If you have stubbornness, if you find it difficult to say, I'm sorry, if you choke on apologies, you can never admit you're wrong, you have a pride problem. And the problem with pride, it's self 
deceiving. Everybody else can see it, but we can't. And when I'm full of pride, I can't see it. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. That haughtiness means acting superior and looking down on other people. This virus keeps us from apologizing. When you're full of pride, it's hard, because why should you apologize? Pride destroys relationships. But here's the antivirus, humility. Humility builds relationships. Listen to five things in this verse that builds relationships. 1 Peter 3.8. First of all, or finally, all of you should be of one mind, which is harmony. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. And, and they're all built really on the last one, the ability to be humble. It's a pretty good model for all of our relationships. We want to live in, in harmony, be tender-hearted and sympathetic towards each other, have compassion, humility. We have to have live in harmony or of one mind. And that's what God wants at Christian Fellowship Church, that would be in one mind. And, and I'm not preaching this because someone said, you know, this church is in a mess, it's, it's split, and Marlene is going one way and Bruce is going. I'm not talking about that at all. And she said, what, that happens at the house sometimes? Anyway, okay, we won't go there. That's, you know, doesn't, the Lord is not looking for unison. Like where we're all the same. Wouldn't that be boring if everything was the same? He's looking for unity. Harmony and humility go together. We draw from our differences. The band this morning sounded wonderful. They were in unity. But imagine if, if uh, the brother right here was singing one song, and uh, the guy back here was playing a different th song, I mean, over here, and the drummer, he played his own song. We'd be booing them off the stage. Okay, maybe we would be very considerate and just listen with our ears plugged. But they were in unison. And beautiful music comes out of our lives when we're in unison. How do I grow in that? It's because it's tough. It is tough. It happens when we let Jesus Christ begin to control our thoughts, our hearts, our attitudes, and our reactions. And everyone here, probably most of us, we, we, we react sometimes wrongly, whether it's outwardly so people can see it or inwardly. Ephesians 4.23 says, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. So how do I become a per new person? How do I start uh, to think in a different way? Well, you know, sometimes it's a lot to do with the people we hang around with, too. You spend time with grumpy people, and you get more grumpy. You spend time with happier people, you get more happy. You want to have more humility, you know, you, you need to spend time with Jesus Christ. <laughs> he is humble. And he wants to have a relationship with every single one of us today. He wants you and I to spend time with him in prayer and reading his word and talking to him. Philippians 2 says, uh, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He is our pattern. He is our example. Pride. Third virus. The insecurity virus. This is not a good one either. Insecurity destroys relationships. The Bible talks about in Proverbs 29, 25. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trust in the Lord means safety. See, 
when I'm so insecure that all I think about is your opinion and what you think of me, that disables my life. And it gets me overcome with fear. And when you have a problem with fear, you try to control each other. And that destroys relationship. Someone once said, and I might have quoted this before, if you live for the compliments of others, you're always living for someone and say something good to you, you'll die by their criticisms. So if, and I'm using Marlene a lot this morning because she's right in front of me. And there's no intention, nothing intended on her, okay? But if, if, if every time I do something in this church and I'm looking, I'm waiting for Marlene to come and say, that was a good job, you did good, you're awesome, man. And that makes me feel good. But then one Sunday, she's so busy, she forgets. And I am crippled. My wife wonders why I'm so agitated and nasty. Why? Well, Marlene never said I did a good job today. But, you know, people can live like that. We are always looking for someone to pat you on the back. And, look, it's nice to get patted on the back. We all like, you did a good job. We all like, and we should be like that. We might talk about that more next week. But when I'm so insecure that all I think about is your opinion, that it really messes up my life and what God wants to do in my Insecurity is a virus that destroys relationship. You know what the antivirus for this? Love. 1 John 4.18 says, Love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fears. Not talking about arrogance, or I don't care what you think. That's not talking about that at all. Love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. And if we are afraid... And we're always in fear of what people think. It shows that yet his love has not been perfected in us. Well, how does it all work? Well, when you really love like you should, it takes the focus of ourselves, it puts focus on other people. Any time you feel nervous and insecure, when you, you pay so much focus on the other person, it, and, and, you, and you put focus on the other person in a good way, in a loving way, it throws fear to your life. God loves us. I don't have to prove myself anymore to God. I know he loves me. I know he cares about me. Does that mean I'm perfect? Uh, I'm not even going to give my wife the chance to respond to that because she'll tell you the truth. I'm not. But I know God loves me. He cares about me. And how do I know that? I see an empty cross on which Jesus died for me. That's how he proved that he loved me. 1 John 4, 15-17 says, all who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. And we know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence. Why? Because we live like Jesus here in this world. Notice the underlying words. Our love grows more perfect. That's a process. It's not overnight, so don't get discouraged. You're not yet where you should be. It's not all at once. But then if you think otherwise, you know what? I'm, I, I gave my heart to the Lord. I'm still struggling with, with anger, and I'm still uh, struggling with a big mouth and saying stuff that I shouldn't. Well, if you're not working on it, you need to get on your knees. But if you're working on it, and you're, you're, you're going to the Lord and about it, and you don't be disappointed. Don't be discouraged. Life is a long journey. And you'll learn as you keep your eyes on the Lord. As someone said, let me, I wrote down a quote. I didn't put it in this. You can face the facts if you keep focused on his face. 
You can face the facts even about yourself if you keep focused on the Lord. Yeah, you know what? I do struggle with that, but I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord and I'm going to keep obeying Him and asking for forgiveness and, and, and trying hard. Yeah, letting them work through me. You can face the facts if you keep focused on His face. You can't defeat insecurity overnight, but you can take the step right now. That's beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ or strengthening your relationship with Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're saying yes to a love that can throw fear right out the back door. Let's do number four. I don't want to keep you too late. The resentment for, uh, virus. This one is another, the other big one. Not that they're not all big, but this is a bad one. Resentment destroys relationships. Resentment is the strong and painful bitterness you feel. Should be on, but yeah, thanks. This guy's doing a great job. When you feel someone does something wrong to you, it doesn't have actual physical weight, but it can feel very heavy and last a long time. Anyone who felt, I don't want you to put up your hand, but who felt resentment, because we've probably all, in some way or another, resentment or bitterness or whatever, it can, it can feel so heavy upon your life. Job 5 and 2 says, Surely resentment destroys the fool, and jealousy kills the simple. See, we all make mistakes. We've, we've all sinned. I sin, you sin, the Pope sins, everybody sins. Not all of us, none of us are perfectly 100% all the time. And because we're all imperfect, we hurt people sometimes, and other people hurt us sometimes. Sometimes intentionally, but most times, if you're a believer, it should be unintentionally. What is more important is what you do with that hurt. What do you do with these little irritations with people in your life? First thing you got to ask God to fill you with is love so their irritation doesn't bug you anymore. Because, I mean, nobody needs to say amen, but there are people that really bug you. And maybe I'm bugging you right now. I don't know. Don't say amen. And the second thing you do after asking God to fill you with love, you go to that person and you talk to the offender personally, in love. You say, it may be, me, it may be just me, but I've noticed you're a real jerk. No, no, no. I, you don't talk like that to people. No, you don't. But you do say, I'm sorry. Like, there's something that really bugs me. Can we talk about it? There's something you, you should never do. When something is, I'm not saying every little thing comes, ah, they shouldn't have said that, that you've got to go talk to everybody about every single thing ever happens in your life. But when there's something going on that's just consistent, and the worst thing you can do is sweep it under the carpet, hide it, go home, and complain about it to everybody else. And if you're talking about somebody else to everybody else, you know there's something wrong you need to talk about that to that person. See, talking to everybody else in the church about it, not that person, that's wrong. We don't do that because it quickly turns in to resentment. And every single one of us, I, I know I have, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm not the saint. I'm not a saint. Um, well, I am a saint. I get it right. I am a saint because I want to stay biblical. I am a saint, but I, I'm not a perfect saint. Okay, put it that way. There are times when people have done stuff to me. I've ripped strips off of them, not to their face, in my mind. And some of you have done the same. There's people who have done stuff to you, and in your own mind, you've thought about stuff you're going to say to them. Or they said stuff to you, and you walked away, and then you thought, oh, I should have said this, I should have done that, I should have did that. Anger is not always wrong, but resentment is always wrong. So why does God want us to deal with it? Because when you get resentful, you stop thinking clearly, as I said about a few minutes ago. I, I, I remember in school, and I used to get picked on sometimes, and some of you might say, yeah, I can understand why. 
your logic goes out the door. And you already come up with mind things oh, if, when you're younger, especially how oh, you're going to knock the block off that person or whatever. And you don't, maybe you don't know those terms, but that means get violent. Um, and your perspective gets all clouded. And, and you, you just, your, resent, your adrenaline starts running and you can't even think straight. And you, you see that with little kids sometimes. I got a little grandson that sometimes gets like that. And then you and I start acting in self-defeating ways. And the most foolish things that have ever been done in the history of mankind has been done in revenge or in retaliation or in resentment. Well, what is, what is the antivirus? Let's quit talking about the virus for a minute. What is the antivirus? It's forgiveness. Boy, and I tell you, I have found that I am most like Jesus Christ when I can forgive even when people don't deserve to be forgiven. By the way, when did any of us deserve to be forgiven by Jesus? See, forgiveness builds relationships. Resentment tears it down, but forgiveness builds relationships. You're going to have a long-term marriage that lasts your entire life. You're going to need massive doses of forgiveness. If you ever need to go to the lab every week and get an injection of this antivirus called forgiveness, you're going to need it if you're married. Ask my wife. She's had to forgive me more times. And I sometimes I remember first when we were married, especially, I used to think, how come I'm always the one that got to ask for forgiveness? I'm glad she didn't say, well, because you're the one always doing dumb things. She didn't say that, okay? And don't even talk to her about it. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults. You're not perfect. Look at the person next to you. Just, just for a minute, look. That person who you love so much or you think alike, they're, they're not perfect. Jordan Joanna's not perfect. Honest. I'm not lying. And Joanna, Jordan is not perfect. You already know. You haven't been married very long. You already know. But just forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, and here's why. It always goes back to, to the foundation. Remember the Lord forgave you, and you've got to forgive other people too. That's what Colossians 3.13, New Living Translation. Why, why should I forgive other people? Basically, we just said the first one. But resentment doesn't work. Resentment just makes you miserable. So you forgive other people for your own benefit. If you're just fighting against it, you're stubborn, you're, I don't want to say, I'm sorry, it's for your benefit. So being, being kind of selfish, you do it for your own self. Secondly, you've been forgiven by God. Never ever forget that. And thirdly, you're going to need more forgiveness in the future, so you better forgive others. Remember the Lord's Prayer we dealt with last week, and, and one part of it said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. You say, I can't do that. I can't forgive that person. That's why you need Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. Human love runs out. <laughs> it does run out. We run dry. You need God's supernatural love in you. Titus 3 says in verse 3 and 5, 2, 5, once, too, we were foolish and disobedient. We were misled, became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and we hated each other. But, when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. See, forgiveness is not saying it wasn't wrong what happened. It was wrong. Forgiveness is letting go of the pain and letting go of my right to get even. Because I like getting even. We all like paying back somebody. But that's what forgiveness is. Real forgiveness from the Word is letting go of the pain and letting go of my right to get even. 
I mean, why wouldn't we do that? It's for our own sake. We're living in misery anyway. I'll start to conclude here. God has brought you here this morning because he's got some good news for all of us. As Isaiah, the prophet, was saying to the people who were in a mess in 43, 19, he says, I, I'm about to do something new. And I've already begun. He's beginning it this morning. You may have had some relational disasters in your life. Welcome to the human race. Everybody has had some relational disasters. The thing is, what am I going to, or what are you going to do with them? Because God wants to start something totally new today. As I close, just listen to these questions. Who do you need to be more unselfish with? Think about that. Who have you been critical of or very judgmental of? Have you been willing to admit, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me? Who do you need to say that to? There are, there, there, we've, we've got people we deal with. Fourthly, have you been afraid of being real with people and you kind of push down the emotions? Is there anybody that you're, that you're close to? This is not going around rattling off everything that goes on in your life to everybody. But isn't there somebody that you have that might be a, a person you trust or, or an accountability person? See, as someone said, you're only as sick as your secrets. Who do you need to forgive? All four of these antidotes to resentment, insecurity, and selfish, selfish, selfishness and pride, all four of the antidotes are found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You get that relationship lined up, and all the other ones will begin to fall into place. I doesn't mean you'll, it'll be perfect. We already talked about that. You'll have to tinker with this and allow the Holy Spirit to, to tweak some things in your life all through the journey. You now need to, we all need to allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord and manager, the boss of our life every single day. Allow the Lord, I have had to do it more than once, Lord, fill me with your love because that person just really gets on my nerves. <laughs> I'm not the only one who said that. Some of you have said it too. We mentioned the Holy Spirit at least four times. And there's a reason why. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to defeat these relationship viruses consistently. And I'm so glad for that name of Jesus that you can go to, you can run to. Uh, there's a song by Elevation. And I, 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 again, this is where I wish I could sing. We need no other hiding place. Our hope is safe within your name. This we know. This we know. You promise never to forsake. What you begin, you will sustain. This we know. Do you know it? This we know. I, make it personal, I will call upon the Lord, for he alone is strong enough to save. Rise, your shackles. And if you're a selfish person and you're full of pride and you, you have unforgiveness in your heart, rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Jesus' name will break every stronghold. Freedom is ours when we call his name. Jesus' name above every other name. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let us bow our heads.